My name is Randy, and uh, one of the pastors, and glad to be with you all. Uh, I'm daddy to some of those here. And we have a new grandbaby. I said that last week, but it's still true. Pictures, I didn't yet. I'll, I'll try and... Uh, Mercy has her cell phone. She has pictures. His name is Aiden. D'Artagnan Aiden. Two weeks ago, I was uh, up in Austin, and I was up there for uh, four days of coaching training. Uh, we've talked about I'm actually wearing one of my uh, Coach Randy shirts. Uh, a number of years ago, I was um, at a business here after church on a Sunday. I'd been wearing this shirt, and the guys behind the counter said, well, are you're a coach. Do you, what, do you coach baseball or basketball? And I'm kind of, <clears throat> well, uh, <clears throat> and you know, I didn't want, well, I'm a pastor. But um popped into my head right at that moment. Uh, well, I coach people to win in life. And that has become a slogan for our pastoral team ever since. And so anyway, I was up actually getting some official coaching training a couple weeks ago. And uh, each morning I had to get there fairly early and I was leaving the house around 6.15 or so, and I was startled by the number of joggers that were out in this residential neighborhood. Fairly upper-class kind of deal, and there, I, there must have been 20, 25 running around at that time. I was surprised. Then uh, this week, also, I spent a few hours with a friend as he uh, was waiting at the hospital, and of course, waiting in a waiting room at the hospital, of course, there's the TV set, the infamous TV set that is everywhere in America now. And I don't usually watch TV, but, hey, there were a couple of actually fairly interesting shows. But then, of course, between the shows was all the commercials. And I was – he and I both were commenting on the number of uh, ads that had to do with prescriptions and health items and stuff, especially earlier in the evening when I guess the older ones were still watching TV. I'm not sure how that goes. But anyway, I, I was startled by the number of uh, ads that were about that. I think we're all pretty well aware that over the last few decades, Americans have become much more aware of their need for better health. We now have, you know, these health clubs. We have uh, curves uh, to get rid of the curves or to make better curves. I'm not sure what they do there, but something there uh, with curves. Uh, home exercise equipment, of course, medical checkups. You know, there is this significant increase to become more physically healthy. And while that's on the increase, there is a significant other challenge, and that is Americans' relational health appears to be on the decrease. In our society, relationships are, are fragmenting at an alarming rate. Fewer and fewer people are able to develop and maintain healthy relationships. I've shared these statistics before, but uh, statistics are showing that 73% of Americans struggle with loneliness. That's not just experience it now and then. That's struggle with loneliness. 75%, three out of four. Look around the room. Three out of the four of you struggle with loneliness, according to statistics. Over 50% of marriages were well aware end in divorce. But listen to this one. In over 80% of marriages, one or both spouses are unhappy in the marriage. 80%. That's four out of five, right? Is that how that? No. Yeah? Four out of five. So look around the room. Which of you are unhappy? Let's, uh, I'll talk to you after the service. Okay. <laughs> All right. Violent crimes 
have increased 516 percent since 1960. Juvenile violent crime has increased 600 percent. Boys involved in violent misbehavior were 11 times more likely to live in homes without their father. Teenagers from broken homes are six times more likely to become involved in delinquent behavior. The suicide rate, I think we're all well aware, among adolescents and young adults increased 500% from 1946 to 1985. I'd be interested. I wasn't able to find a newer statistic than that. In 1960, 5.3% children born in the U.S. were born to unmarried mothers. 1960, only 5.3% of children were born to unwed mothers. Today, nearly 33%, nearly one-third of all American children are born to unmarried mothers. 40% of teenage girls will become pregnant before the age of 20. 40%. There's 1,106 unwed teenage girls becoming mothers each day. These are huge statistics sharing about the challenges that we're experiencing as a society in the area of relationships. Over 70% of all children in America will spend some of their growing up years in a single parent home. Three out of four will spend some of their time. Almost 30% rarely or never see one of their parents. 80% of Americans, four out of five again, have grown up in a home with divorce, physical violence, sexual abuse, or drug or alcohol abuse. Four out of five kids. The typical, here's, here's a cool one. Again, I've shared this before. Some of you are familiar with this one. The typical American father, the normal American father, none of you in this room, I'm confident, spends only 14 minutes a week with their children, and 10 of those minutes are spent in discipline. 14 minutes a week, 10 of those spent in discipline. In 1991, the Texas Instruments Company ran a two-page ad in several publications with this headline, Third grader spends an average of 900 hours a year in class and 1,170 hours watching TV. So if they're only spending 14 minutes a week with their father, who's raising our children? We live in a broken, hurting society where people are losing their ability to have healthy relationships. I wonder if you can see yourself or those you love in this mirror. With that intro, let's pray. Father, surely um, this was not your heart. Your plan was for us not to experience the pain and challenge that we have. But it is present. It is a part of the world we live in. And as a community, as a church family, we welcome you to help us. We in this room struggle with our relationships on a daily basis. None of us are exempt. None of us have a perfect home. None of us have perfect abilities to respond to people. We really need your help. And I ask in Jesus' name that as we um, pursue this topic of relational fitness, that you would be with us and that we would become more and more like your son, Jesus.
Father, I pray for our guests that are here this afternoon that you would especially meet them. That as I uh, share this information, and that you would uh, encounter them. That we would know your presence. Help us to hear you. To understand your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We have uh, spent a lot of Sundays this year talking about living life on purpose. And one of the significant areas of life where we need and desire purpose and meaning is, of course, the area of relationships. In fact, Jesus identified relationships as being our purpose in life. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus has identified that our very existence is about relationships. Once when he was asked what was the greatest truth in the Bible, he responded by giving us what is known as the great commandments. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. These two truths tell us that our purpose on earth is about relationships. Relationship with God and relationships with others. Then at the end of his time on earth, following his death and resurrection, Jesus gave to his friends and followers and to us what is often described or could be described as his last words of instructions known as the Great Commission, where he added another relational purpose Matthew 28, 18-20 All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, to do everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here Jesus essentially says, I'm, I'm leaving you behind with a task. A task to go out into your neighborhoods, your communities, into the workplace, into the marketplace, even going to cultures and to people who are different than you, to connect with them, to become related to them in such a way that you lead them to connect with Jesus and with his people, becoming Jesus' disciples and living their lives with these same relational purposes that he has given us. The great commandments, the great commission, all of these given by Jesus are about a relational purpose in life. Back in 1997 or so, thereabouts, uh, when we were first planting this church, uh, Claire and I had the, my wife Claire and I had the uh, opportunity and were gifted uh, the ability to go to a pastor and spouse retreat that was led by David and Teresa Ferguson uh, of Intimate Life Ministries. And that retreat really helped us to uh, experience and to learn about a greater connectedness and intimacy that we could experience in our marriage, but also our family and in our church. But as life is sometimes a few years later we needed help again 
Claire and I were having some more pain, some difficulties in our marriage. And we again pursued intimate life to help us with that. And again, uh, we were resourced with some uh, additional tools, additional expanded understandings that, that continued to help us work on and deepen and solidify our relationships. Again, with each other, with our children, as well as with others. But life sometimes leads us into challenging places. Anyone had that happen to them? And over the last few years, our family and our church have uh, experienced a lot of loss. Uh, There's been a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of pain. And last year in May, just a little over a year ago now, uh, I had an emotional, spiritual breakdown. I was uh, at church on a Sunday morning. I'd had a, a very challenging situation on that Friday occur, a very challenging situation that occurred on that Saturday, and I came into church on Sunday morning, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't stand in front of the folks. I'd prepared my message, but I couldn't stay. Went to my wife at the back of the auditorium and said, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but I'm out of here. You can't stay. Went away and camped for about five days. Uh, one of my daughters and her husband came up and visited me. I stopped in Austin on the way and met with one of the intimate life uh, counselors. And I'm here standing before you to be able to say that through my loving family, uh, friends, the support from vineyard leaders, a loving and caring God, and continuing support from uh, members of intimate life, I am back in a place of significant healing, peace, and purpose again and am able to share with you and stand before you uh, these principles and these understandings, not having perfectly acquired them. Yesterday uh, I had quite a a little miss with my wife, um, as uh, can happen in our lives, Uh, but uh, I acknowledged that to her shortly uh, thereafter. Life can be pretty tough. Relationships can be fairly full of hurt and pain at times. And we need help to fulfill these relational purposes that Jesus gave us in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. This is not easy. Our world is kind of rushing us down like that picture of the, uh, the rafters. That was some of our uh, team that was in Costa Rica. You know, it's, it, it, this whole relational unhealth is a lot like a rushing river that we are caught in. And what we're needing to learn to be able to do is to be able to somehow turn around and go against that flow. And it is not an easy task. It is a challenging task before us. So over the next few months, I want to help us to learn and practice some biblical principles for relationships. For some of you, there will be some repeat here. Some of it was repeat for Claire and I when we went back to intimate life each of those times. But again, when all of life is pushing us one way, Sometimes we need to hear things more than once. So, in review, for some of you, what does the Bible describe as the first human crisis? The garden. Okay, there was a crisis in the garden. And that crisis was... Man was alone. Now, we often think about and talk about, of course, the fall. And, uh, you know, the challenge that was experienced there. Sometimes we think about Cain and Abel, you know, that murder. That was not really a good situation. But before both of those events, that was a rough day for uh, Abel, for sure. (laughs) 
Before those events, while Adam had everything that most people think is important, he had a perfect environment. He had an exalted position. He was top of the ladder. He had unlimited resources. Money was no object. And he even had an intimate, unhindered relationship with God, walking and talking with him each day. But in the midst of that, when Adam had all of that, God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for people, for the man, for women, for children, for teenagers to be alone. The all-loving, all-powerful, all-caring God, free to create humankind in any way that he desired, chose to fashion Adam and Eve and you and I in his image. And one of the elements of God's image is the element of relationship, though we often don't think about that. Prior to the creation of the universe, our world and and humankind, God existed in perfect, mutually loving and supportive relationship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They lived for and existed to love and serve one another. That is the nature of God. The nature of God is to love and serve and bless. Think with me, if you could, just for a moment about this aspect of God. God the Father lived and existed to love, serve, and bless the Son and the Holy Spirit. God the Son lived and existed to love, serve, and bless the Father and the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit lived and existed to love, serve, and bless the Father and the Son. There was this incredible community of love. A part of God's image is relationship. And that image we have been created in. Personally, I was, as I was thinking about this a couple days ago, I was sort of imagining this divine game of tag where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are chasing one another to love, serve, and bless the other. Then one day, somewhere in the vast expanse of eternity, while they laid resting from their game of tag on a hill overlooking heaven, God the Father said, you know what would make this game even better? The Holy Spirit said, no, what? And the Son sat up and said, what if we created other beings whom we could love, serve, and bless? And the Holy Spirit jumped up and said, yeah, and they could love and serve and bless us like we love and serve and bless them. Then God the Father stood up, started the chase again, and said, let's do it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The sun, moon, and stars, the earth, sky, and seas, the plants, animals, birds, and fish. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image to be like us and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 
So God created humankind in his image to be like them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Every day, God would walk and talk and play tag with the man and the woman, loving, serving, and blessing them while they loved, served, and blessed him and one another. What a beautiful world it was. But then came a day when the man and woman were deceived and they were led to rebel against God, no longer living to love and serve and bless him, instead determining to be their own God, living to love, serve, and bless themselves. The plan, however, blew up in their faces. When instead of becoming gods themselves, humankind became slaves to the one who had tempted them to rebel, turning the rulership and dominion of the earth over to him, thus releasing into the world pain and suffering, envy, lust, murder, hurricanes, tornadoes, and every other kind of evil, even death. No longer were they free to love, serve, and bless God as they had before, but now they were controlled by the dominion of self and sin and the lust of the devil. But that was not the end of the story. God was and is all-powerful, and he was and is all-loving. Though humankind chose to rebel against loving, serving, and blessing him, God chose to love his creation men and women by saving and redeeming humankind from their slavery to self, sin and Satan and their ultimate master death God the Son set aside his glory and his powers of deity humbling himself being born of a virgin and becoming human himself so that he could show the ultimate love service and blessing to God the Father and humankind by laying down his life, paying the penalty for every sin ever committed, and breaking the right and power of Satan and death to control and torment humankind. But every human being still gets to choose. Will I serve self, sin, and Satan? Or will I welcome the gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. If we choose to welcome the work of Jesus upon the cross, if we place him on the throne of our life, there's a number of very cool things that happen. Our sins are forgiven. We're restored into relationship with God as the skit showed. We get to live with him in heaven forever. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who will come to live in us and help us in our life to fulfill these relational purposes of loving God and loving others. But this change from living our life for ourselves and sin and Satan to loving, serving and blessing God and others, it doesn't happen magically. Every day, in fact, every moment, we still have a choice to choose to love self, 
or to love God and others. But having God's life now living in us, that power to make that choice has been restored to us. And as before Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, we are again invited to be participants in God's community of love. Loving, serving, and blessing Him, and loving and serving and blessing blessing others. I'd like to conclude our time together this afternoon by experiencing the Bible and perhaps encountering Jesus in a special way. We've done this a few times in the last few months. I'd like to tell you a story from the life of Jesus. And as I do, I'd, I'd like you to imagine yourself in the story. Maybe perhaps even being one of the characters in the story. If you're comfortable with it, I'd invite you to close your eyes, picture the story and yourself in it as I tell it. This is the story of Jesus and his disciples sharing the Passover meal the night before he was to be betrayed and killed on the cross. Jesus and his disciples are in a large room upstairs in a home in Jerusalem. It's nighttime. The room is lit with lanterns and candles. Dirty cups and dishes, serving bowls and pitchers lay scattered around. A number of others are also with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus' mother Mary is there. Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead just the week before, and his sisters Mary and Martha were there. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and a number of other close friends and disciples were all there. Everyone was a bit anxious. Well, everyone except Jesus. Earlier that week, Jesus had been welcomed into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna and the waving of palm branches. People even laid their cloaks on the ground before him. But since then, there had been a lot of talk in the city about the religious leaders wanting to arrest Jesus to do away with him. All had eaten and drunk as Jesus led them through the Passover meal, telling them the meaning of the various elements. Jesus had even concluded the meal by breaking the bread and saying to them, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup and said to them, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Everyone was a bit confused and not really sure exactly what Jesus was talking about. Just now Jesus has gotten up from the table. All eyes are on him. What's he going to do? Nathaniel whispered to Philip. Look, he's taking off his outer robe. Now now he's tying a towel around his waist. Then Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, why are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him, Peter, I know you don't understand now why I'm doing this, but someday you will. No! Peter protested. You, you will never wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash you, you won't belong to me. Well, then, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. No, Peter. 
person who has bathed needs only to wash, for they are already clean. Then one by one, Jesus went around the room, washing each of their feet. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Philip. Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. Now coming to his mother Mary and Lazarus, Martha, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susan, and the others. Even coming to you. And finally, Judas Iscariot. Tears rolled down Jesus' face as he washed Judas' feet. But Judas would not look at him. After Jesus had washed each of their feet, he put his robe back on and he sat down among them. No one spoke. All were filled with their own thoughts and feelings. Then Jesus spoke. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. And if you understand these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Would a couple of you be willing to share what you experienced in that scripture reading? Perhaps what character you were in the story if you did that and what you were feeling? Anyone? use the mic I think it'll be most helpful um, I never would have thought I would have associated myself with Judas because I, I tend to think of myself as a little further along in my spiritual journey than that <laughs> but unfortunately we all go to the depths at times and uh, it hit me all of a sudden when you were saying how Judas wouldn't look at Jesus and I get in this place sometimes um, and it can be relationally or it can be spiritually where I get really stubborn about something. And I, inside I'm telling myself, you know, I'm not going to do it. 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 Or, and meaning, or I won't give in. I won't give in. Or, or whatever it is that I'm resisting, which is usually something that's being trying to convict my heart or trying to show me something in my life that's wrong or whatever. I just get like this stubborn thing and I just have these little messages in my head that just over and over and over and over again. And I'm just stealing my heart against that knowing that I need to repent or that I need to to let myself go to whatever that 
that thing is. Um, and so I could just picture myself there with Judas just, you know, totally not letting himself feel the power of what Jesus was doing for him because he knew what he was still planning to do and he didn't want to lose what he was still planning to do. He didn't want to lose all that money. He didn't want to lose that being able to be recognized, you know, and be somebody because he was not recognized among the disciples maybe and he had always thought he should be or something. I don't know what all was going through his head, but that stealing his heart and saying, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in to you. You know, I hate you. I hate you. I just want you to die and I want what I want. And just so that that beautiful thing that could have totally broken his heart, he missed it. And he didn't get it until after he'd already done what he's done and now he's remorseful and, you know, it was too late. And so it just hit me to not, when I'm in those places where I'm getting just that stubborn feeling where I don't want to give in, um, to realize that it really is ungodly and to see where that led somebody else. It was really scary. Somebody else? One other one? Little gutsy. Jim, why don't you come on up? I, I do understand this is pretty different kind of exercise and not something you're accustomed to doing at church, but it, it's the way God would want us to encounter his scripture, I believe. Uh, I kind of flitted around with uh, going from disciple to disciple. <laughs> and uh, one thing I kept going over and over in my head is what's going on what's going to happen something's okay the teacher's acting weirder than usual (laughs) so it's like something's up and I mean uh, it's a just wondering what each of the other ones is thinking Uh, it's like why won't Judas look at uh, look at the teacher why it's like well Peter's being Peter and yeah, so so I just kind of flitted around uh, listening to each of the things that, or feeling what I might have felt from each of them. And, yeah, a lot of it is still questions I even ask. I think that uh, I wonder why a lot of the times, why he did this, why does, what does this mean? And it's just, it was an interesting experience. Did anyone experiencing anything significant during the foot washing, just as I shared that? I mean, a couple of you? Okay. Priscilla, why don't you come share? And that'll be the last one. Okay, I was Mary Magdalene. Um, so that was a very powerful experience to be like, you know, I felt so unworthy just to wash his feet, and now he's washing mine. So that was really powerful. I I do want to acknowledge that none of the Gospels um, share that those others were there. But personally, I can't fathom they weren't. Jesus gathered around him his closest. Lazarus, Mary Martha were his best friends. and These others that were named. I was quoting scripture uh, relative to the naming of them, but not from that text. So... I just hadn't need. I feel like there were women there, but so I needed to provide that. But I want to acknowledge texts don't say that.
It is the nature and purpose of God to love, serve, and bless. Jesus was the ultimate picture of what that looks like. And he said, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Jesus said in Mark 10:45, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The Apostle John said in 1 John 3 and 4, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we have not seen. And God himself has commanded that we must love not only him, but others as well. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few months. How do we do that? What does that look like? Let's pray. Jesus, as we have uh, contemplated uh, numerous accounts today of your loving us, I am touched deeply that you would care enough for me. And I'm sorry that I have so little loved. And I welcome you to convert my heart that I might become more like you. That I might learn what it means to wash and cleanse my wife, my children, my friends. What does it mean to lay my life down as Jesus did? That's what love looks like. That's what Jesus did. Thank you for doing that. And I welcome you to help us. This arena of relationships is um, its a pretty fast running river. Leading most of us to uh, brokenness and hurt. And I welcome you to teach us how to go upstream and how to take others with us. And today I ask Holy Spirit that as you have moved in various hearts that you would close the deal. That there are some here who uh, need to repent of living their lives for themselves. That though they have Uh, claimed to be a follower of Jesus, yet their life doesn't look 
much like that. And I would welcome you, Holy Spirit, to bring a new life. The real purpose in life. Father, there are many here who are hurting from broken relationships. Who are still grieving losses. Some from childhood. And I welcome you to teach us as a community how to gather around and to see them healed and mended. How to see ourselves healed and mended. Thank you for the tools and the resources that you have so lovingly distributed to our church and to our leaders here. We welcome you to teach us in these next weeks and months to see us healed and mended. And Father, there are many here who have pressed and pressed on and pressed on in the midst of challenge after challenge after challenge saying, I will follow you. I am following you. I will follow. I will follow you. Lord, thank you for their hearts and their courage. Come and renew them again, O oh God. Fill them with strength again to take another step tomorrow. To raise their head again and to say, I will follow Jesus. And Father, might we be the kind of community that not only loves one another, but learns to love the unloved. Sometimes even the unlovable, the outcast, the hurting, the angry, the broken. Jesus, you said that you came not to heal the righteous, but to heal those who are sick. Oh God, that we would be a community of medics, doctors and nurses, surgeons, gathering into our arms and our hospital, our school, our family, those who are so damaged, like an animal caught in a trap many times, lashing out, biting, slashing. Lord, but they're just hurting. Teach us how to get near them and to bring them to you to get them out of their traps. In Jesus' name, amen. Since we're supposed to stand up and hold hands with each other, invite the Holy Spirit to empower us. I've been hearing um, stories from different ones of you about God encounters you've been having at work and in your neighborhood. That's been very cool. 
and that's because the power of the Holy Spirit is coming upon us. And um, is everybody holding somebody's hand? Be better if you're holding more than one. So scoot in there. Wrap around. That's cool. We may look like a motley crew, but we're powered by God. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and empower us. Fill us, Lord, for works of ministry this week. At work, Lord. Give us power at work, dominion over work, Lord. That we would walk knowing that we are um, with authority and with power and with love, Lord, that conquers a lot. Father, release it there at work. Father, let us be the standard. When there's no standard, Lord, is whatever you think it should be okay, that we would be the standard. Father, release power on those who are in school. Father, that if your favor would be upon them. And, Father, wherever they go, that um, instructors and faculty would notice. And, Father, just, Father, I pray for opportunities this week where people will just stop you and start telling you there's issues. And you're, they're saying, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. And, the Father, they would remember, okay, I know why. Because God empowered me for good works. And so, Father, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon our young people and our in-betweeners and our older people with the power of your spirit to do good works in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all. We love you. Find us again next week. We'll be here. If any of you would like uh, prayer for uh, anything, whether that be a relational challenge, something that maybe got stirred up today, uh, whether it be perhaps a financial need, maybe a decision you're facing, we'd love you to come on down and we'll have folks up here who would love an opportunity to pray with you and to uh, bring God into your life in a powerful way. So if you would like that, come on down and we also need a few folks to come help us pray. Have a great week.